Sponsor for The Shepherd's Crook this month is Crown Brew Coffee Company. Crown Brew Coffee believes that a great cup of coffee can build a great community. Their founders fell in love with coffee while serving in the mission field and started bringing different coffees back with them from around the world. As their love for coffee deepened, they began to study and understand how to prepare it intentionally with manual brewing techniques and other unique methods. Crown Brew started by being transparent with the brewing process and techniques to empower people to make better coffee at home. Now they have a cafe that specializes in craft brews and education that attracts a diverse community of patrons. Plus, all of Crown Brew's coffee is fair trade, meaning that farmers producing these amazing beans are being taken care of. If you want to learn more about their story, the craft coffee industry, or get your hands on some incredible beans, stop by crownbrewcoffee.com to check them out. Or if you're in Carterville, Illinois, they would love to make you a delicious cup of coffee in their shop and share their story. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. Come alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 52. I'm excited to talk to you today about Christian worldview or biblical worldview. And this is going to launch a series of five to seven episodes in working through training your people to think biblically in all of life. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and I'm going to trust that He will give it. Holy Spirit, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this grace that's just here and present for us right now. And for all these listeners, Lord, I'm grateful. Help me to do the best I can to equip them to think biblically in all of life. And Lord, we just, uh, we love you. We ask for your leading and your guidance and trust that you're going to do that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank again Crown Brew Coffee for providing me with some coffee to drink as I'm recording. And I want to encourage you to do what that ad said, to go and sign up for the giveaway that's happening right now. And also, and, and really the giveaway is for anybody because you can get it through the mail. And Crown Brew does all this subscription services and all these sorts of things. And they do local beans and or they, you know cook them or bake them locally and then sell them and they're, they're just fantastic and they do all this manual stuff at their shop and it's just a really cool place crownbrewcoffee.com really just check it out and uh and buy some coffee from them but i've really been enjoying it as i've been recording so christian worldview let's talk all of god's word for all of life the term biblical worldview was popularized in the 70s and 80s and it was popularized primarily by Christian Reconstructionists. And so that's modern, uh, theonomist, post-millennial, you know, partial preterist, uh, you know, Calvinistic Christians. And they did some really good things. But when you mix theonomy in with some of that stuff, it just kind of gets hairy a little bit. However, they really did rightly see that we need to have a biblical worldview of all of life. Okay, and some of those things that I just said, I kind of, I'm kind of leaning towards partial preterism, and pretty much bought into that hook, line, and sinker actually, and postmillennialism, but Christian Reconstructionists, not as much. But I kind of come, I understand where they're coming from, and uh, but Christian worldview is simply an acknowledgement and outworking of the sufficiency and the authority of the Bible in all of life. 
Let me just say that again. A Christian worldview or a biblical worldview is a simple is simply acknowledging and it's an outworking of the sufficiency and the authority of the Bible in all of life. So let's just work through those things kind of quickly. Number one, the sufficiency of Scripture. And, and again, I'm trying to help you train your people. And as I work through some of these things, pastors, you'll be able to hear how this is applicable to every day, Joe and Sally in your, in your assembly, and equipping them on how to think through things like politics, economics, education, self-defense, creation versus evolution, all these sorts of things. If we can understand these things biblically and rightly, then we can help other people see all of life, the whole world, and all the recreation, all their play, and everything that they do through the lenses of the Bible. Okay, so for one, let's think sufficiency of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. What does 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 say? Well, I'm really glad you asked. Here, here's what it says. All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, this may come as a surprise to some of you, maybe to many of you, but I've mentioned it a few times before, I am a continuationist. However, I'm the kind of continuationist that says, if you never get a subjective impression from the Holy Spirit in all of your life, if you never get direction or a, a lesser than word from the Holy Spirit for you via prophecy or the gift of tongues or anything like that, you are not somehow a second class Christian in any way. Because the Bible has given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness, that we can be complete, the man of God, equipped and complete for every good work, okay? So if we have the Bible, we have all that we need. We have every word from God that we will ever need. But the authority of the Bible is crucial for our people to understand. It's crucial. If you, are a per- if you have God's word, then... You have the wisdom from God to understand all of life. You've probably heard it said this before, that, okay, you have the Bible, but the Bible doesn't tell you where to move or live or to what house you should buy or if you should sell your home or buy this car, buy that car. And I kind of understand what people are talking about, how we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit's guidance. That's absolutely true. However, it's false to claim that God's word does not equip us to make decisions like that, okay? Okay. Because God's word gives us the principles and the wisdom to be informed on what decisions to make about the houses we buy or the houses we sell or the cars we buy or the cars we sell or to move to this city or to that city. As we are seeping in God's word, reading God's word, getting a good Bible reading plan and just in God's word year in and year out, we are able to think biblically and rightly on anything that comes our way. And as we pray to say, God, would you please give me the wisdom on, on from your word to know how to approach this situation, God helps us to do that. And the Holy Spirit comes and reminds us and, and points us in the right direction. But it is false to say that God's word does not apply us with the ability to think biblically or to make right decisions on things that the Bible does not specifically address. It only peripherally addresses. And so we need to think biblically and understand that the Bible is sufficient for all of life, for every decision, for everything that we'll need, for everything that we're considering in the world. The Bible can help us and is sufficient to give us direction. Number two, the authority of the word. God's authority should be recognized everywhere. Okay? Absolutely everywhere. Because the claims of the Bible are universal claims. There's no neutral ground in this world. 
There is no pocket of this universe that God isn't present and there, and his claims don't claim authority over. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 28, when he said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, we so often consider the authority that's been given to Jesus in heaven, in the heavenly realm, but we don't consider the authority that Jesus Jesus currently has on this earth. And he has all authority in both places. It's not like he has all authority in heaven and then partial authority in earth, which makes sense, but we have to acknowledge, because Jesus said it, that he has all authority in both places. And that authority means something. And that means right now, out in the city, the city that I live, Carbondale, Illinois, I live a couple miles outside of the city, but Jesus has claim and authority in the city. And it's our responsibility as believers to inform our people to know that Jesus owns this place. And as we call people to attention to the words and the good news of Jesus, we need to understand, and they need to understand, our people need to understand that this earth belongs to the Lord. It's not just the Old Testament and the Psalms that lay claim to the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Also, because of the work of Christ, to even a greater degree in ways that I don't fully understand, Colossians chapter 2 gives us insight into a view of the atonement that we need to be aware of, especially those of Calvinistic bent. I believe in particular redemption and, and you know, the, the limited atonement piece in, in Tulip. It is, to me, the most clear of all of them because over and over again, we see that Jesus died for the many, for his church, for his bride, the elect. Every single time when we read, when we go to receive communion, when we receive communion, we, we read the words from Matthew 26 that it was blood, the blood of the covenant which was poured out for many. Jesus' blood was poured out for many in, in a specific way, in a saving way. Or the first announcement of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, I believe in verse 21, when we're told that this Jesus will save his people from their sins. His people, their sins. Or when we're told in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave himself up specifically in a saving way for the bride. The Bible is very, very clear on this. And if we have a fully biblical view of the atonement, the Bible also speaks to Jesus dying for the world. Jesus has a multi-intentional atonement. The Father, Son, and Spirit are fully united in their work in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and in their goals and their accomplishments of redemption. And redemption is not just for people. Redemption is also over the cosmos. Jesus died in a saving way for his bride. He died in a reconciliation way for the world, the cosmos, and he died in a general way for all people everywhere throughout all of history. He died for them in a non-saving way, in a common grace way, procuring common grace for them. All of the good gifts that they give, the, the God makes the rain fall on the just and unjust, that's because of the atonement. That is the common grace that was procured by Jesus through the cross and resurrection. But I want to specifically look at the cosmos, that element of the atonement that Jesus accomplished. And we hear about it in Colossians chapter chapter 1. And here's what he says in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus reconciled all things to himself. Not just people, but trees. Not just people, but cities. Not just people, but regions and continents and stars and universe, in the whole universe, reconciled to himself. It belongs to him. This is why Abraham Kuyper in the beginning of the 20th century could say things like he said. 
You've probably heard the quote from Piper or somewhere from Abraham Kuyper, and here's what it says. No single piece of our mental world is to be hermeneutically sealed off from the rest, and there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. You've heard that, correct? Well, I agree, and I think it has to do everything with the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture in all of life. And what we, what I want to do is equip you to train your people to think through these things biblically, to think through all of these things. The list I made before was economics, politics, education, self-defense, creation, and our enjoyment of it. Why is it not just okay but celebrated to drink alcohol in moderation in the Bible? Not that you have to, to be faithful. Why is it that it's okay for a Christian to bear arms, to take up, and for pastors to bear arms, or to even conceal carry if you want to? Why do we need to be thinking about education? How does our biblical worldview affect how we think about education and train our ch- and even how we train our children? Or when we look at politics, how are we to think about politics or economics? This is what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, biblical worldview. And I hope to equip you and to train you to think your, to help you train your people to do the same. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.